insightful lyrics we'll roll off the valentine's day edition of the show here today a thursday and it is of course the 14th the mythical magical valentine's day and uh, if you've got a significant other you better take heed um if you didn't know it already take heed to make your life a lot easier um Roger Sales, obviously, Radio Ranch, little People's Patriot Network, fledgling radio network. I guess we could that, or you could consider it a bundle of podcasts in the newer lexicon or whatever. I like to envision it as a radio program because that's what I think it is. You know, I'm a, uh, even though we're using a little different medium and we certainly got a much longer reach than we ever did with any radio station I was ever associated with. Um, uh, it's a pleasure to be here and do this and look forward to having this as the center part of my day and and many of you do too. I don't know that all of you do, but certainly I think some of you do from what you've told me and I'm glad you're out there and we've got this platform and this forum uh, to discuss these things that are of utmost importance. Um, Gosh, I don't know almost where to start. A lot of stuff flying, isn't there? And I, it's just been um, what's the word I want? Just a continuous stream of events, and with uh, heightening with intensity and importance, I guess, to all going to escalate at some day in the future here when we'll be getting together and talking about the calamity that uh, is not on the threshold but in our house at that point and I uh, don't know what day that's going to be trying to prepare for it of course and and make the right moves where maybe you could turn it from a disadvantaged event for most into an advantaged event for us us and ours urine urine uh so um let's see what uh, that's unusual chris hadn't checked in with us yet i hope uh, usually does here as of late and hope he's not <laughs> thrown in some some deal somewhere. I'm sure we'll probably hear from him at some point. He may be out filing paperwork or he might have to be in court today. Don't know. Um, do know that it's a good day if you're uh, some of these people. Uh, Thomas, Thomas uh, joined us yesterday, one of our new uh, contact out there, the group he's kind of put together over the years and a Facebook group and a group in Texas. And uh, of course, I did a conference call with them here a few weeks ago and laid the laid the program out for them and so if any of you guys have any questions i know people are reading the book there in that group and discussing the concepts and if any of you have a a question that you'd like to get answered this is a good time to do it here for everybody and i always encourage everyone people want to get you on the side see and just and i don't mind doing that i every person that becomes a member of our ranks can we put it like that? Every person that becomes a member of our ranks is important. 
to the effort, and you never know what somebody's going to bring to bear in the battle, uh, uh, either immediately or down the line. You just don't know those things. Uh, I, the example that I think always comes to my mind, mentioned it this week already briefly, out of the 1,200 students John and Glenn had as in the six months they were teaching this, I was the only one that took this information further. Everybody else, 1,199 of them, went on about their lives because in some instances the problem had been solved, uh, but for whatever reason they didn't focus on this. And, and how would John and Glenn have ever known that when they made this stop in Atlanta, this dumb kid would stumble into the meeting, go through the course, and then take their information up to a whole new level, which is the master key, pretty much, seems like to me. As far as I can tell, in all honesty, it's a, a master key for these people's scheme. And when the key is placed in the lock and turned, it opens doors, apparently, and that they cannot or will not or shall not close. It, that could change. Well, only under one circumstances and that they're ready to take the mask off. That's the only way that will change is at the point, if there is a point, when they're ready to take the mask off. Then all bets are off. But as of now, and I think, and I see the reasons why, they have a system of law and they hang their operational hat on it. And that peg on the wall, they pretty much follow, pretty much follow, especially in the bigger questions like these, to the T. Okay? It's just that we've never known what that game was before. So that's, a, a, you know, very interesting. So as a reach out and we get new people in and out of here all the time, people drift off and go away and, 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 and come back in later or whatever. And, uh, but we're always looking and very encouraging to the new folks just to make sure that you get these basic concepts, the important ones, the real basic stuff down in your mind because that's going to serve you from now on out. Um, and if you'll take a little bit of time, well, here's one suggestion if you're new to this, um, go to YouTube and in the search thing, put the science of law. And unless you, YouTube is stripped it off of there, I don't know if they have, I don't think they have, they don't, uh, you know, the my Ed, Ed Snowden video is still on there. I guess because I'm not talking about whatever the social media event de jour is. Regardless, it's up there, The Secrets of Law. It's a show we did years ago. Somebody put it up there. I don't know who did it. Thank you, though, if you're listening. But that'll go over all those real important conceptual bases that they don't, that they intentionally they intentionally have taken out of the law school curriculums in our country and uh, that are indispensable for your total, complete, 
mastery. Let's let's use that glass hopper. Oh, well, look at there is Chris calling in. Well, now when when nobody else is on, we do get that Skype noise, and you can't turn it off. But if anybody else calls, we don't get that from here on out. Good morning, Chris. Did you hear me talking about you? Uh, I'm afraid I did not. I had overlooked the time, and I looked up, and it was a couple minutes past already, so I called in fast as the bunny. Yeah, you must be being, were you involved t- totally in writing some of that wonderful legal process that's such an integral part of your life? <laughs> oh, boy, was that ever exciting yesterday. I tell you, I, I, I had a hard time from not bursting out into laughter when the judge testified from the bench proudly that the Chinese lady said, I'm a U.S. citizen. <laughs> so the, the China, now hold it. You got to give us a little clarification. Uh, uh, the Chinese lady was that the federal prosecutor? Uh, oh no 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 no. She's just a little herring administrative uh, tyrannical uh, traffic czar. Okay. And she said you were a citizen of the United States, or a, a no? She, she testified she was. Oh. <laughs> Okay. Well, good. Good for her. I thought she was she was testing competency and that invokes constitutional diversity of citizenship. I think that's Article Four, Section Three, Clause Two. But I'm not positive on that one. Okay. Let's see here. Thomas is going to join us. I think. Well, so you had that little deal after the show yesterday, huh? Uh, yes, I did. As a matter of fact, I did quite a few. Lots of little intrigue that happened yesterday. Wow. Well, you're going to have to fill us in on it. Let me make sure we get Thomas hooked up here. We're trying to get the Skype handshake. There he is. I think he just came in. Hey, Thomas. Good morning from the heart of Texas, my God. So uh, here comes Texas riding to the rescue for us, guys. Uh, cool. Thomas, we're going we're gonna to hear what happened to Chris yesterday. Because uh, he had some exciting personally. Yeah. Uh, where's, what's all the noise coming in the background? I had my other speaker on. Okay. I just muted it. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Chris, so you had to go to court yesterday after the show, correct? On this is a traffic thing from when they tried to corner you in that 7 Eleven store parking lot or what? Well, yeah, this is the fallout from the pretextual traffic stop under the allegation that I willfully and intentionally evaded a traffic control device. Okay. No basis to that whatsoever. That had no contemplation in my mind that day. Uh, but the, you know, the officers always pretend they can read your mind without any basis to support it. And so that was their version of facts, not having anything to do with the reality of the situation, which was pretty extenuating and mitigating. But, uh, it's really kind of crazy watching them try to manipulate, try to microscopically box you in and try to avoid the manifest circumstances that over uh, the whole scenario to the jurisdictional Department of Homeland Security, FBI, multi-local jurisdictional state, federal and county and municipality and NGO uh, jurisdictional implications which violate the uh, Smith Act, Grand Lanham Act, the Sermon Antitrust Act, 
Taft Hartley Act and the Pinkerton Act, and there are probably war crimes using military forces against the civilian population in the UN's. Uh, well, you know, Chris, the thing is, I'm a, can we start a pool and take up a contribution to get Chris a new phone? <laughs> well, uh, uh, that's something you guys will do. I'm not soliciting. <laughs> well, we're the see, we're the ones that have to deal with the with the cutouts and stuff. And I've come to the conclusion over many months. I think it's your phone. But regardless, um, you know, you're you're not in the average American's petri dish out there. You know, everybody doesn't live in a city that is called Las Vegas, okay? And the obvious corruption and the money and everything else that flows through there. Uh, so Chris's case is not average, quote, unquote. I'll say, in fact, today, before I went to... Well, now, hold on. Now we're getting all kinds of stuff. Sir, the city of... Chris, what are you doing? Are you in a car? Are you moving? Are you at home? Where are you? I'm sitting at the exact same spot that I usually sit every morning when I talk to you, so okay. I don't know what's going on that it's okay. different today. We do have some socked-in weather here the past day or two. That could have some effects on it, I suppose. Did you see when I asked you the other day, are you about 30, 40 feet from the router, or are you close to the router? You're, are you talking through the cell phone? So you're here's, why, here's what's going on. You're calling the number to the station, and that means you're using yeah. your regular cellular carrier, right? If you wanted to call me back and use a different system, that might uh, I don't, relieve some of that. I don't know that it would be using a different system. I think it would be using almost the same system. Um, anyway, you know, what happens is it's when you just come in that it gets real garbled, and when you start talking, it kind of straightens out. But it's the initial thing, and when you're having a dialogue and asking a question or getting short answers, it's kind of distracting. But that's okay. You know, we'll dance with the girl that brung us, all right? So finish your little deal, and I want to find out what's going on with Thomas out there in Tejas. Go ahead, Chris. Well, yesterday I was turning in my discovery papers to the opposition party, the city attorney's office yesterday, and uh, the, the lady at the gate, she's an older lady, she's uh, very helpful, she, she kind of likes me, and we have some fun, laugh a little bit when I'm doing it. This big, tall, well-coiffed, uh, silver-headed guy in a nice suit comes in, he's got a county badge hanging around his neck, and... Uh, he's having some dialogue with her, and of course I'm sitting there and being patient for her to do my stuff. And um, he had a real good voice, a nice deep resonant voice. Uh, and I asked him to go television. He says, "Well, he said I actually did try out to be an announcer for the Chicago Cubs. I'm from Chicago, and he said I, I didn't do that, but I, I get that all the time in my life. People tell me about my voice and stuff, and so." Uh, you know, uh, and it was nice, you know, and we were just being uh, congenial to one another. Yeah, and, cordial. Right. And so, well, so I left. That clipping. The is... thing with this county guy. And I had the impression he was probably a high-level chief counsel of some sort. Uh, and being from Chicago kind of resubstantiated that supposition. And so I made my way on down then to go to the 
U.S. Dis- the uh, Nevada Eighth Circuit District Court's administrative office where they take complaints on judges and stuff because I yes the day before whenever I had made that last ditch chip they wouldn't take my Supreme Court uh, appeal on an exigent basis I had to mail it in at their ostentatious white elephant apparently non staff albatross building uh, I went on <laughs> to this office here to get this like I did some pretty quick on uh, pulling things out of my posterior and I'm it's a it's a terrible yep. we got terrible fidelity. You're cutting in and out. I can't even understand the story. Let me try and call you back and okay. Please do. Uh-huh. All right. So hang up. I'll call you right back. We'll get Thomas is gonna be on with us. Hey Thomas. Hey Roger, how you doing, buddy? Well, I'd be doing better if we could get some of this technical crap straightened out, and it just uh, uh, upsets me. But you can't do much about it. And, uh, so let me see if maybe calling him back will straighten it out. Uh, you guys progressing on getting your arms around this info out there? Oh yeah, I'm uh, I'm making waves, buddy. Um, you ever heard of a gentleman named Michael Badnark from Texas? Yep. No, I'm not. It doesn't ring really yes, me. Yeah, Chris, you're back on. He is. He is like huge here in Texas, and has been doing um, videos on YouTube. And I want to say he's a teacher or something at one of the colleges. But uh, he teaches the Constitution, and he uh, deplores asking. Uh, his servant for permission. So he's been without, um, let's say he's been free. I, I hate to say, I hate to use that term. He's been without a permission slip from government, but that's what it is. But uh, our founders didn't require permission. Well, yeah. If, uh, if a servant came up and asked him something ridiculous, they would throw something back at him like, uh, are you lost? You know, uh, or shoot them. And they were that radical back in the day. And we have become so complacent and so herd mentality-like that we think if you don't have that permission slip from your servant, then you're uh, a a psycho, uh, some kind of other uh, crazy name they've picked up on the Internet and tinfoil hat wearing whatever. But um, that's not America, you know, to ask permission from your servant. And I like to explain it to people like, so if I hire somebody to come clean my house and I go shopping and I come back and they have a gun on me telling me I need permission to come in my own house or permission to walk through my own house, then I need to get that permission slip, right? And they kind of get it that way, you know, they're like, yeah, this is our house. This is our country. It's not theirs. They work for us. But it takes repetitive um, it's, mo- yeah. motions to get these people to think about it in the correct way because we've all been in this days of, yeah. It's a, let me tell you what it is. Thomas, I'll tell you exactly what it is. It's not a daze. It's something intentional. It's called Pavlovian yeah. conditioning. And they're masters yeah. at it. Okay. And did, if you, right. did you read that part in my book about that stuff? I put it in the book. 
the book is on its way right now. Okay, I've been so reading uh, the PDF forever, yeah, no, no, but you wanna, you, I, I keep losing my place, so I've got the book on yeah, its way right okay, now. Okay, so. well, that's good. it's good to have a hard copy of this and get your marker, too, by yeah. the way. But if you haven't oh, ever yeah. heard me tell this story, let me tell you where the source of it first, okay? Because the source is unimpeachable. And the source was several uh, hours and meetings that I had with a guy named uh, retired Brigadier General Benton P. T. Parton. Have you ever heard of him? Mm, the name Parton sounds familiar, but I think it's more from Dolly. Okay, well, <laughs> yeah, well, she certainly pops to mind. But this guy was not related. He came to the forefront after the Murrah building bombing in Oklahoma City. And the reason that he came to such national prominence after that incident was because he was considered to be the expert's expert on munitions in the entire country. And the reason he had achieved that status was because he was the head for years and founded a system of the Air Force called the Weapons Systems Division from its inception. And that division was designed to look 50 years in the future and try and get a grasp of the kind of weapons that we'll be needing to fight whatever enemy we'll be fighting at that point. Real, real sharp guy, okay? And uh, he yeah. did the original um, uh, reports that he he's retired, lived over in across the river in Virginia, and he hand delivered the report that he did on the Murrah Building to every representative and senator in Congress. Okay, and what he did was he proved that an AMFO bomb could not have taken down that building, and he did it with scientific proof. Of course, none of them were going to listen to it, but regardless, that's where he came from. So I had a, a chance to spend some time with him one-on-one, -on -one, actually, for three or four hours in Atlanta, but hear him talk. We brought him to Atlanta. I saw him speak and heard him speak a few times, and he had two talks, one on all this Murrah City stuff, and then another one on communism, because he's an expert on communism. But at, when he started that weapon systems division, he said to himself, and they just, they tapped him and said, start this, here's your, what your, your uh, job requirements are, what you're supposed to be doing. And he said, well, the first thing I had to figure out was who the hell we're going to be fighting in 50 years. And so he said the communists were the big enemy, and I figured they're going to be that way too Then 50 years. So I started studying communism. And in studying communism, he stumbled on this information I'm about to tell you that I would challenge you to find anywhere. But like I said, the source is unimpeachable, okay? And they have scrubbed this so thoroughly. Everybody is familiar with Pavlov's experiments, right? Take the dog, right. ring the bell, Put the food down. Get to a point, go through it enough times where you ring the bell, don't put the food down, the dog salivates. That's the first stage of Pavlov's experiments, and that's the ones we all get taught. What we don't get taught, Thomas, is the second and third stages of that experiment. And I tell you, I challenge you to try and find it anywhere on the web, anybody that's listening, because to my knowledge, I don't know that you can find it, but if it wasn't coming from Benton P. Parton, I, I wouldn't know this and neither would you, all right? So in the second stage of those experiments, Thomas, they took the same dog in the same room and they conditioned him to turning on the light switch. 
And the, the response was that when they turned on the light, they beat him with a stick. Okay? There's a truck going by. Tell them hello. Tell them get some biscuits and gravy down at the next stop. So they'd take and switch that light on, and they'd beat the dog with a stick. And the only way he could get relief was they'd put a parallel board to the floor over in the corner, and the dog could dive under that, and he wouldn't get the beatings. So they take the second stage of the experiment, and they condition him to turning on the light and getting over under the board. So now they move to the third stage of the experiment, Thomas, and they take the same dog in the same room and they turn on the light and they ring the bell simultaneously at the same time. What do you think the dog did? Uh, I've read this before, but I can't remember. Well, the dog stood in the middle of the room and he shook. And today, in psychobabble circles, they call that a catatonic state. And that's, that's where we are. Where you are along, well, not you, but the majority of your fellow countrymen are right there. Now, an interesting thing about Pavlovian conditioning, and I heard some guys on a radio show years ago that were experts in it, and they said something real interesting. They said the more conditions you put on a subject, the deeper the conditioning takes effect. Yep. So all these news well, stories and all these things happening everywhere, people don't understand what's happening. They have no earthly idea that they've been uh, uh, Pavlovianized, and they sit there heaping these things on them, and they sit there and shake in the middle of the road or the room or the work space in a catatonic state and act like automatons. Does that make some sense of what's going on? Oh, yeah, it's made sense to me for a long time that uh, and there's a, a quote that I always uh, quote and people don't even know that they don't know what's going on and um, Noam Chomsky says it best people not only don't know what's happening to them they don't even know that they don't know that's and it that's I the big crime they think they, they don't they, have a clue they think they know they think they're educated they went to college they listen to the news they read the newspaper they talk to people about these things they know it all cold don't you understand yes and and but what a lot of people don't realize is everything they know is a lie of course and that's why, you know, and the lyrics to this song that open up my show, that song was carefully chosen because of what it says, mm -hmm. okay? And, and in those lyrics, he keeps continuing, where, tell me where is sanity? Well, that's the reason that I spend two hours with you guys every day that I can. And, and we appreciate you for that. Um, you know, this back to this. People not only don't know what's happening to them; they don't even know that they don't, that they don't know. It's because they are so they're trained on something that is total nonsense. And let me give you uh, one of my nonsensical ideas. People don't know that the government's been changed. They think it's they think it's the real government. Yep. They don't realize it's running on the Fourteenth oh. Amendment. 
Therefore, they go vote for a Marxist, communist, socialist hybrid and think they're doing their God-given right. And I'm like, okay, let me try to explain this to you. This, this reconstruction era that we weren't taught much about in the public fool system totally reconstructed the United States of America with a simple word, the United States citizen, and a simple definition on that. And it's hidden right here in these legal books. Yep. And you're, you weren't trained to open the legal book and look in it, and you weren't trained how to read these words. You were trained as a slave You're, through the Prussian school system. You were conditioned. To believe, right, to believe nonsense. And it's hard for somebody to comprehend that. Now, I was speaking on this over to a group in Waco one day. There was about 15 people there, not a big group. It was a group called Texas Freedom. And uh, after explaining this, yeah, I spoke for about 30 minutes. I didn't get too long-winded because people don't have that good of a, an attention span today. And at the end, this PhD walked up. I didn't know her. I didn't know she was a PhD at the time. She had this look on her face that was just like, "Oh my God, we've been lied to." And she bought the book that I was uh, urging everyone to get. It wasn't a book near as, as easy to understand as yours. It was very technical. It, it went through all this crazy law. And see, so you're going to lose. You're going to lose but, the majority of people right there. Right, right, right. And it explained the history, you know, and what's happened. And she found me on Facebook in about three days and she did not shut up for forever. And she was like, Oh my God, we've been so lied to. Well, and I was like, she got it. Well, many one... people don't get it because the book is too technical. So I don't push the book anymore because there's a lot of mistakes in the book, but she got it. But now she has been trained so much. She's got this higher level of, of training from the next level up in the public fool system that um, it's just, um, you know, not going to happen. And, and that's sad that uh, people can think that way. Roger, I have this uh, drive inside me that it's going to happen. It's kind of like the hula hoop or the slinky when it first came out. It became a fad. This is going to happen one day, and when people see it, they're going to go, bang, i got to tell everybody about my new hula hoop or my new slinky. So John and Mary and Sue, they run down and get their slinkies. It's, this is the way freedom is, and this is what the founders went through in the 1700s. Well, that's what I'd like to think we're doing is starting that ball rolling downhill. And, and it's been rolling for a few years. We've touched a lot of people. I don't know how many people's directly affected. Uh, uh, and, but that's the reason this platform's here. I get on here every day and basically do the same thing. I'm, uh, my first priority is people like yourself understanding this and, and getting their arms around it where they too can become people that talk about it intelligently. Now, let's go back to something you said at the start of that. And this is, these are the common, this is the way you separate yourself from the crowd, okay? Is you got to get specific. 
And we all fall into generalities. And I say all of us because I still do it too. I still use the word money. I try and correct myself and use the word currency when I can. But we all slip and use the word the government. The government this, the government that, right? Yep. Okay, well, it's not, that's not right. Because you see, we're the government, and we have a contract called the Constitution. And in that contract, we elect representatives that go up and supposedly represent our interests. In doing so, they pass laws, and to get that whole operation working, they hire agents, don't they? So in the representative or the senator an agent of the people, aren't they? Yes. Uh, well, then the people they hire to do the rest of that stuff, aren't they agents too? They're, they're hired. They're paid a paycheck, right? Right. Well, they're the agents of government. They're not government. What has done us in is the agents of government. See the difference in that and the way it, people perceive that? Because there's a pretty big difference there. Right. The whole agency, whether it's a real estate agent or any, there's a whole body of law that deals with that legal relationship called the laws of agency. And you see, that's what they're doing is they're enforcing that stuff by those regulations. And when you file this paperwork, it takes you out of their parameters. Now, if they come and mess with you, they're acting outside their delegated areas of responsibility and duty, and now they become personally liable and use, lose their shield. You see the power of what we're talking about here? Because they're agents. Right. They're not the all-powerful Oz government. Well, the problem is people, people aren't holding these... Uh agents accountable well, to the law that's right well that, no well they, they don't can't, know the law well they can't generally no like the irs stuff man for years we go in and talk to these irs agents on these different situations and we start quoting all this stat all the regulations and stuff to them hell those guys don't know that stuff they know they're supposed yeah. to go out and squeeze whichever pig they can get the most out of Right. Okay. But uh, it's, it's real important to get down to, in other words, let me see if I can approach this a different way for you. They set us up with generalities, and then they come back and zap us with specificity. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you got to know and get people thinking on those little fine points because that's where they're snagging us. Just like Chris got up uh, and said the lady got up yesterday in court and proudly proclaimed herself a citizen of the United States. Yeah, they don't know any better. The masses don't know. No, they don't. That's the reason for this show, and, and I've had to come to accept Thomas, and you'll learn, and the rest of you guys will experience this too because I think it's pretty well the norm is you're going to get called a bunch of names. You're going to get looked at real funny. And maybe every now and then you'll find somebody that says, damn, let me, what are you talking about? What, what did you say right there? There's a difference between a citizen of the United States and a citizen of the United States of America. There's a difference. 
100% difference. It's easy. And that's, uh, that, that was my first post this morning on Facebook. I, I try to do something first thing every morning, and it was Thump Brain Thursday. Words mean things. <laughs> we'll drag Russians. Well, not not a secret so well guarded for 160 years since the war, when exposed, the masses brush it off as having no consequence. Yeah, the and people I mean, were given a slave. The people were given a slave moniker by using vague and general terms since the war and the 14th Amendment first sentence. Hidden in plain sight, the majority would think it utterly preposterous that the solution is that simple: U.S. citizen equals slave since the war. Thomas Maddox, Texan, not a U.S. citizen legally or lawfully. And this is all it takes is understanding you were born with this U.S. citizen legal fiction moniker in the first sentence of the 14th Amendment. And Legal then, fictions are legal lies. What do we do about legal lies? We correct the lie, right? That's what you wrote this How morning. How simple is that? Yeah, pretty simple. Uh, you might want to throw in their presumption and get people conditioned to the fact that what you're really doing is living under a presumption. When you boil this down and, and try and get it as simple as possible for, for the mass uptake of the people that get exposed to it, you're born under the presumption of law that you're this, and until you correct the presumption, it will roll on and you will consider to, to be considered to be that. I have, uh, I take that and I will work on it because at this time, I think the term presumption would be a little bit too large a term for some people to understand. So I use more general, better known well, terms you to you, the average everyday person. You could take that. But yeah. Well, that's because you are presumed, you are presumed to be this and you're not. That's right. Listen, the verge and I rebut the presumption. You got to rebut the presumption, yeah. and until you yeah. do, and in just the right way, because you can't just go around rebutting it, rebutting it, rebutting it, and it's rebutted. You got to do it with the right way to the right person. Right, and this is a point I was getting to earlier about Michael Badnard. You can look him up on YouTube. He's a really sharp guy. He sent me a message yesterday on Facebook, and I had been listening to this guy for years about, you know, his, his travels around Texas and coming in contact with the police. But anyway, well, I, he sent me I a know message. I know we need to call Travis Power and tell him we got a phase out here at the house. Oh, Chris? Okay. Chris. You're, you're, oh, sorry. That, sorry about that. <laughs> you got a phase <laughs> out at the house. Call the electrical department. <laughs> sorry, Thomas. Anyway. Yes, well, that's true. When you drop a phase, uh, when it rains in Las Vegas, they uh, have to come out and fix the electricity because it's the whole system. It's not just our house. Okay. Well, sorry. Anyway, he wants to compare your um, affidavit with his to make sure he's getting out of this. You, he understands. In other words, he understands what I'm saying well, way better than a lot of people do. Thomas. He sent me the message wanting to compare his notes with your affidavit. Thomas, why don't you, um, you since you yeah. got the connection, why don't you ask him if he'd like to come on the show and he and I can discuss it here on the program for everybody. Awesome. That, that would be awesome. Okay. Why don't you see if you can schedule it for next Tuesday? If he's open this right. time next Tuesday 
or next Thursday, right. either one of those two. If Tuesday's a problem, see if Thursday's all right. All right. We'll do that. Good. He's a super, super sharp guy. Good. I mean, he, well, he knows the law backwards and forwards of, of a free man. Well, see, there's a lot of pockets of us out there, and, but, and everybody's got a piece of the puzzle. And I'm not trying to say, I'm, you know, I just think this is the nexus of all of it, okay? And if we could get people on this track, I don't care. I'm not looking for credit and all that stuff. I just want to accomplish the mission of getting this out to as many people as possible. Yes. Here, here's the crazy part. I've met so many sharp guys like you, Michael, uh, Joseph, and others here lately. It's blowing my mind that this thing is really coming together. And all of us sharp guys are going to meet one place one day, and we're going to have a crowd of 5, 10, 15, 20,000 people going, I want to be free. And, right. and we're going to do this thing. I see that. I see that down the future, too. I don't see a big gathering of people in one spot, but I see this message getting up on the next level. The Dr. Dave Jandas and the uh, uh, Greg Hunters and the uh, Eli's and the Silver and Gold Report and all that stuff. And when it hits that, it's going to really get legs. Yes, type yep. that. Type and that. I, I feel that coming together right now. Yeah, it is. Well, uh, man, I'll tell you what, it's a good feeling because I've been nursing it for a lot of years. And uh, it's good to, I feel real comfortable with it. I feel like we're making progress. I'm not uh, uh, too uh, uh, drawn back by the fact that it's not as big or as fast progress as I'd like to, to make. But just getting this information in the public domain, uh, Thomas, I've accomplished my goal. I accomplished it seven years ago. Now it's just trying to spread it and get it more deeply ingrained into the public domain. Right. And you have done it so good, so simple to understand that people are starting to say, I mean, I'm having guys that have been sitting on the sidelines forever coming to me. Thomas, I'm ready now after reading Mike, uh, after reading Roger's stuff. And his affidavit, uh, boom, and and they listened to the conference call you and I were on the other night. That that had a big um, effect. Do you have a and recording? And then the one I did the week after. Was that recorded? Uh, they're was that, fired up. Was that recorded by any chance? Yes, sir. It was. Well, why don't you shoot me an MP3 of it, and I'll put it up on Castbox because I had a couple oh. of people ask about it. I will send it to you in an email here shortly. Yeah, okay. I'll give you a better way if it's too big for your email. Uh, WeTransfer.com. Okay, whatever. Uh, So, uh, but I'm real glad to have all you guys on board and a little new blood out there. It stimulates me and and inspires me and uh, uh, nice to meet your acquaintance. And there's just something about all us people that kind of think alike. And, and are on the same frequency, and we've never met before. And all of a sudden, these reasons, the show, the information, etc., and we meet, and you got a new friend that you felt like you met years ago, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Chris? It's... Chris, did you I'm get your... I'm still here. Okay, yes, sir. Did you get your phase thing straightened out? 
No, absolutely not. But I've still got power on my little computer here. My phone still works so far. Well, kind of. Well, kind of, yeah. <laughs> we have to get you a new phone, man. I, you know, I, uh, I one day I had, uh, um, I had Greg start recording. I said, when every time that Chris comes on, record him, because I want to make a recording and send it to him so he knows how he sounds. Okay, and. Greg wrote me back and said, hell, he sounds like he's in a sewer. I said, I know. <laughs> well, so, curiously, I, I did a call yesterday, uh, day before yesterday, with Ramola D. She's a uh, kind of an intriguing, I guess she's across the pond. Maybe she's here in America, but she's certainly got a British-sounding accent, New Zealand or down under somewhere. And a pretty good interviewer. In fact, she uh, goes on a couple of advocacy in fact i think uh, no more abuse.com or something like that is her web um, email and it's up on the i think i sent you a link for it it's up on youtube under ramola d and uh, chris near las vegas and it came out really really well and most of the other calls that i do come out really well it's just the ones between you and i that seem to have the massive amount of communications issues no, problems no. and this is a pretty new Moto Z4 phone I'm on. Oh, they're hyping that you can get a free Moto Z5 on the 5G, and I ain't buying no. the 5G lies myself. I don't want anything to do with 5G, and I'm fearful that it's a very dangerous technology of EMP, electromagnetic uh, power force, and it may not be the best force because we've all ingested so many uh, nanometallics in our breathing from the chemtrail springs of... Uh, nanometallics of trimethyl aluminum, cesium, strontium, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And so it's a very, very dangerous time. But that was a very curious day at the court system yesterday, if you have a halfway decent signal on me. Yes, and what I was going to say is it's not that it's terrible all the time. It's only terrible initially when it gets real garbled. Hmm. That everything you just said was perfectly audible, and we all understood everything you said, and there was only one little breakup in it. So I'm not sure what the problem is. That's why I'm trying to find a solution. And if you'll get that little, you've got to have some special attachment from Motorola to see if you can get earbuds in or whatever. Try it. Let's try that. It might solve the problem. But when it first comes on, it's real garbled and real uh, unintelligible. And what that does is it takes the conversational aspect out of what we do. So uh, because the... You, well, people, like right there. You know, I'm curious. Go I did ahead. go out and buy a new set of headphones, but I'm having extreme difficulties in finding the little adaptadori that came from Android that lets you plug in this micro C bottom hole on the Android interface it with a mini RCA plug so you can plug in the headphones. I, I had a pair of new ones. That I, you know, it's just really frustrating trying to get this stuff. Now I got to go spend big bucks to get another. Uh, Android adapter for my phone to be able to use it with the new headphones I bought, two different pairs, and I'm still not able to plug in. Well, <laughs> the, the, the moral of that story is don't buy a Motorola. <laughs> get one that don't have well, to make I, you I, jump through these hoops and get all these extra attachments to do what you need to do. That's the most significant downside to it is the way that you have to connect the audio plug. They could have put a micro RC in there and tied it in, and but they didn't do that. They saved money, 
And, uh, you know, rather than that, it's a really kind of an interesting modular concept phone. It's got this magnetic thing. You can slap these different appendages like I have a Bose or some sort of a hot shot speaker on the back because I'm a little bit hearing impaired, and it plays it much louder on, than the phone does, so I can hear better. So that's a good thing. And then it's also got this projector that will project it like a 155-square-inch uh, LED high-resolution picture off the videos in my phone, which it might come in handy in a courtroom scenario to show the grand jury or the jury. Uh, so it's got some assets that are kind of interesting, and none of those are really cheap, although they do offer some specials sometimes that makes it affordable. And that's how I got mine, being a value shopper extraordinaire. But it was really curious yesterday, whenever I had met that deep, resonant, Quality voiced individual it was very tall in a silver suit with silver hair and about six foot two or three tall, uh, kind of a noticeable presence that came into the city attorney's office when I was sitting there turning in some documents I was required to turn in. And we had a little colloquy between us. And so then I went down to the district court's Eighth Circuit administrator that's in control of all the judges, supposedly for the Eighth Circuit District Court in Nevada in the Southern Division here. Of course, they're all in the same justice building, the city, the county, the municipality, the district court, the, especially competency court. They're all in the same building, so the pretext of separated courts goes away because when they lock the doors, they have their meetings up on the 12th floor and their uh, sumptuous and well-appointed elite meeting area surroundings, and they conspire against the rest of us to come in there. And of course, they have uh, armored trucks that come and pick up the money every day of all the hundreds of thousands, if not millions a day, they take in from these extortionate revenue where they change it from your pocket to their pocket and call it revenue generation. And so it's really quite interesting. So I'd made my way to the district court administrator's office on the second floor, and um, they had a new girl there at the desk named Jasmine, Middle Eastern. She was, you know, pretty slight built and not unattractive looking, kind of cutesy uh, young girl, but... Um, not very experienced at what she was doing, and I was trying to explain to her, I was trying to find a judicial complaint that I'd put in a couple of months ago that uh, had to do with a judge they tried to specially target for me and uh, cherry-picking the judiciary to specifically apply to uh, knowledgeable common lawyers and patriots and conservatives uh, and so it's a, a real, real curiosity that they would manipulate the thing. In fact, the director administrator of the clerk's office came out, stood behind her while she did that nonsense, that devious uh, stacking of the court docket, and especially directing me to this one uh, terrorist who, in my appeal for a traffic case, the one where Kenneth Mead testified he'd been stalking me for since August 12th of 2012 and some other things that were really useful, um, he met in Camara ex parte behind in the secret chambers in the back with the prosecutor and ruled against me and never gave me any due process of law or substantial justice opportunity to defend myself in the courtroom whatsoever. And that's and what so you're, that's, that's the incident you're contesting now, right? Well, that's not the one I'm contesting now, but that's one of them I'm contesting now, uh, precisely. You know, and the, so the problem, that was an appeal, but... The problem but is, yes, Chris, I was. Uh, I was. 
as we get into this, you're, well, you, the history to, at this point has so convoluted, and there's several of these yeah. incidents, and and uh, unless somebody is almost in your shoes, it's hard to keep them all straight and keep the story straight. So that's why I was asking the question, but go ahead. You're right. It is the situation I'm dealing with now. They put the same judge that uh, hoodwinked and, and thought he was pulling one, pulling the wool over my eyes before. It's hard to untie a Gordian knot simply because it's not meant to be untied. You're exactly right. But I'm pretty astute and I pay close attention. And, uh, you know, I was under the most duress one could, figuring that you might not be alive the following day after going to court. And I was trying to move to that court and I paid $270 to do so. And that's not a small amount, and it was fortuitous I had that much money in my pocket yes, there sir. in their courtroom, but I did. And that was to, uh, because I couldn't get the one to the Supreme Court exigently, I dropped back as a desperation move to move it to the district court, to, at least to buy some time. And so I paid $270, and of course the administrator of the court, Teresa, a uh, woman of color came out and stood behind the one that was helping me a little nervous about helping me i i detected and i was a little nervous too so being able to notice that while i was a little uh, agitated and under severe stress and duress uh, i thought was pretty astute of me under the circumstances of combat so <laughs> so after i did that i took that stamp sealed signed copy and i went over to the administrator's office to get it and uh, this little Jasmine girl that was at the administrative office, uh, she didn't know what I was talking about, and so she called back there to ask somebody to come up front to give her some help or give me some help. And so this big, tall, nice-looking younger guy with a gun on his hip and a badge and handcuffs and you know, a, a shirt and a tie, I figured he was probably the administrative court's investigator or chief security guard or something other. A nice-looking young guy comes out, and I said, well, I'm trying to I put in a judicial complaint on a judge, Scotty, back a um, um, couple months ago, and he said, well, it was January? I said, well, it could have been January, maybe a little before. I'm not, I don't remember exactly the date with all the stuff going on, but so uh, he went back there, and he was back there for a while, and of course the impending time was closing up on me coming down to that other court that was coming up at 9.30. Well, lo and behold, this same tall, silvery-haired, dashing, and um, well-spoken, good-voiced uh, gentleman with a county badge around his neck, he walks into the same office where I'm at there. What a coincidence, almost like he was following me. <laughs> and uh, So we'd had colloquy before, speaking back and forth to one another in a congenial manner. He says, oh, fancy seeing you here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he, and he says, he says well, what do you do here? Well, I'm a private advocate and activist for honest government, and this is a target-rich environment. <laughs> he says, oh. <laughs> Good one, Chris. <laughs> well, and his response was classic, too. It was obviously very well experienced. He says, oh, you're a good actor in a bad movie. And I said, yeah, you wouldn't want the role I'm in. <laughs> what dialogue, man. <laughs> Oh, well, you know, like I say, if I hadn't been there and hit in the middle of it, I wouldn't have believed myself with this whole thing going down. It's like they they send probes out to follow me around to see what I'm doing. And so I went back after I got through with this court thing to get my certified documents because I'm going to recuse this judge. 
because how can a judge I put a judicial complaint on be fair, unbiased, and neutral? And it's preposterous for them to not have known that and to put that judge on me. I know they did it exactly, specifically, with laser surgical specificity to try to throw me under the bus because this guy's a hit judge that they send to to dispatch uh, patriots and freedom riders and guys that actually know law. Well, did you find the complaint? Did they find the complaint? Yes, they did, and I put it in in December, and it kind of been the week before Christmas or so was when I put it in. It was a handwritten complaint. And, in fact, the guy that was the big, tall, young uh, investigative uh, with the badge and the gun, turns out I asked the girl Jasmine, because he wasn't there, and they had the package of information where I went back after I'd been in the court through that little soiree. And uh, Jasmine says, sure, sure, right here. And I said, Say, who was that young guy that was uh, helping me there? And so she tells me his name was Brett. And I said, but what was the last name? And she says, Sagafsky. And she spells it for me. And I said, I'm pretty sure I know his mom, Barbara Sagafsky, who was a state representative. And I think I know his dad, too, who was an IBEW Local 357 electrician. Well, you know, I know his mom and dad. So, uh, you know, I pay attention. I have a pretty good memory for an old guy, and uh, that was what happened with that deal. So I'm kind of still reeling from the court thing, and I'm going to be doing some things today or tomorrow about that. Well, hold on, on, Chris, because you've left us hanging. You've left us in the dark. Who was the guy with the good voice, Mr. Suave? Did you find out who he was? Well, I... I don't know, but I strongly suspect he's a high-level member of the law intelligence team, if I had to get from Steve Wolfson, the prosecutor, chief prosecutor's office. He's probably like a uh, chief counsel or something of that. He's from Chicago, and he was real smooth, you know. I mean, this guy was ultra smooth and, you know, uh, quite a presence of a man, you know, and noteworthy, and I pay attention to those things, but I'm used to... In the military, when I was back in uh, Fort Sill, Oklahoma, and I was in the post-educational television division and TRADOC uh, information dissemination, training and doctrine command, and we used to get generals and colonels and all these different high-level officers to come over to the post-information TV division where I was at, and we'd produce audios and videos and uh, different special projects of how things going in the new army and uh, the 21st century and so on and so forth. And it was it was kind of a, an auspicious location to be in the middle of when I was there. And so I was used to dealing with all these big presence people and stuff who were pretty, you know, they were semi-important in their sphere of operations. But, you know, we were having to interact and professionally and courteously, and they were respectful of me. I was respectful of them, as we should be and commonly should be to most people. And... Um, so I'm not unaccustomed to dealing with officios and dignitaries, speaking for county commissions and speaking to representatives and uh, things like that and to public forums. I've spoken uh, in the state house here on uh, circumstances of property and land rights and stuff on some of the Bundy things and other things around it with some other um, rather prestigious people in government and extracurricular activities of activism around the country and you know, I'm not unaccustomed to speaking in those venues, so I do so with some ease and uh, relative effectiveness. Well, uh, I'm sure most of our listeners wouldn't 
want to get schooled the way that you have. <laughs> and so, hopefully... Yeah, combat schooling is a little difficult. <laughs> Guerrilla combat schooling, I mean, as a matter of fact. <laughs> if, you, if I can ever help anybody avoid all of that crap, I will feel that it, I've done a good job. Okay? I mean, honestly, because I went through it personally, and it was my personal experience dealing with IRS now. Uh, and after that experience, I said, hell, there's got to be a better way to do this. There's just absolutely got to be an easier, better way. And because of that experience in my life, we're here today. Well, absolutely. And, uh, you know, this is, this is the thing that makes it so it's appalling to me what's happened to our country. It is shocking to the public's taste of conscience, the ones that are awake and know that our country has been hijacked. We've been taken, occupied by uh, Bolshevik, communist, Zionist terrorists that want, and Jesuits that want to take over this country. I'm doing a pretty fine job of it, I'm oh, sorry. They have done. They and, have done. They have done a fine job of it. It ain't doing. It, they've oh, done it. Satan's not an amateur. Yeah, Satan's not an amateur. <laughs> they darn sure have, regrettably. But... You know, there are things that we, some of us are doing out here and trying to do so peacefully. You know, when, you know, I think as Kennedy said, when they make peaceful dissent impossible, they make violent revolution inevitable. Yep, and right. we're pretty much at that point, regrettably, and that's yep. like where they want us to be. Yep, that's exactly right. They want chaos, and they stand back and, and re reap the benefits of it. And you're our dictate, our mandate, Chris, audience, is right there in Revelation 18, and it says, come out of her. And it's hard to come out of her in the instance of our friend Chris when he's in the middle of her as deep as he is. But for the average person out there, if, you, if this touches your life, learn about it, study it, think about it, ask questions. If you, if you got big quandaries, call into the show here. I'll give, I, we don't give the number out enough. We should give it out more. It's on the website, peoplespatriotnetwork.com. If it's still up, I'm assuming it is. Uh, uh, but that's what, that's, what this sh that's what this show's about. Okay. is to reach out there, especially Thomas, you and your bunch, all, all those new people that are just starting to get their arms around <laughs> this and go, damn, you mean there's two classes of citizens in this country? Yeah, there are. Well, right. it tells you right there in Downs versus Bidwell, Mid Downs versus Bidwell, very clearly that we have it at the bar and at law that there are two different classes of citizenship here in America, and it's stated clearly on the DSM-11 now on the warning block on page 3. I sent you something last night that was very, very interesting, and somebody had gone in and modified the DSM-11 and made it a non-citizen U.S. national's passport application form. I thought it was rather creative. Oh, that's interesting. Well, they probably wouldn't accept it. Well, I, I'm not sure they will or they won't, but if they accept it, you know, that's consent, right? Well, uh, I, the presumption of consent if you accept it. Well, the reason <laughs> I say that they probably couldn't or wouldn't accept it is because the passport application fits under a, un, a, a unique group of, of, of paperwork called a public information gathering request. You ever been exposed to this It's an OMB form. 
Office yeah. of Managing Budget. That's Budget correct. and Printing Office. Yeah. Any any agency in the more than 323 agencies that puts out anything that's classified as a public information gathering request has to get that piece of paper and those questions pre-approved through the Office of Management and Budget because of a piece of legislation years ago called the Paperwork Reduction Act. And so mm-hmm. it ha- even a 1040 form is considered to be a public information gathering request. Okay, And so they have real specific things and guidelines to get that thing classified and get an OMB number off of it and I don't think they would could accept one that's generated from the public and sent in. That's why I said that. Well and there are some caveats that people should be aware before they jump on putting that one in there. Um, you can modify the form however there's some pretty strong caveats and mourners that you don't alter the document or you reduce the capacity and you might be prosecuted we, for changing the form. You but you can that. offer additional proofs of citizenship evidence, uh, tacitly inferred and implied by Doctrine of Infra, the non-citizen national status evidences of non-citizenship uh, very clearly as provided for in the language of the document. Let's call it non-birthright citizenship. That's even more specific. Non-birthright citizenship, because that's the nomenclature they've adopted internally to identify that status, birthright citizenship. So, as well, I, I said, everything's agree. dialectics. Where's, where's the answer? Every, here's the lesson. Everything's dialectic. It's a birthright citizenship. Where's our answer? The non-birthright citizenship. Where was the answer? The dialectic. It's always well, the, the language answer. They, yeah, I was going to say the specific language they use on their form is non-citizen U.S. national, but I'd like to pre-qualify yeah. that with the state that you were birthed in, uh, state um, blank state American non-citizen U.S. nationals explicitly to delineate well, finitely exactly what you are. Let me bring up something real interesting. You don't have to. You you shouldn't even be telling them what you are. You ought to be telling them what you're not, because it's pretty easy to prove you're not a black slave. That's her, her a, a, a lineage back to the Civil War, isn't it, Chris? Well, it should be self-evident. Okay. Well, no. Well, then if it's self-evident and you put it in the paper, you send that to them and say, "I'm not this." Because when you make a statement, I'm this, it's specific, I got to do this. When you make that statement, it gives somebody an opportunity to challenge you. Okay? Doesn't matter if the challenge is valid or anything else. It, may, it gives them an opportunity to challenge it because it's a positive statement. Go in and make a negative statement. I'm not this and let them figure out what the hell you are. All right. Now, this is pretty, it's one of these little nit things, but I think that it's, and I'll explain to you why I say this. But they say specifically in that oath, non-citizen national. And it's the only place I've ever seen them phrase it that way. Otherwise, it's just U.S. national. Only in that one spot does it say non-citizen national. And I think the reason they did it is to further the attempted fool you with the whole application. 
okay? Because somebody that, I, I guarantee you, mo nine out of ten people that send one of those in never read the oath they're signing. They just sign oh, here, absolutely. here's a, boom, boom, boom. Now, for the one out of ten that does, and he's going to read it and it says, I certify under penalty of perjury, I'm a citizen of the United States, parentheses, or a non-citizen national. That's put in there for that guy. That one out of ten that's going to read that oath and go, well, I don't know what a national is, but it's a not a citizen, and I know I'm a citizen because they've conditioned me that way, so I guess I'm not one of him. That's the reason they put it in there. In that, that's how important this passport application is to showing people what they've done. I don't dispute what you're saying, Roger. I think it used to be before they came up with the new phraseology of the non-citizen U.S. national. You're speaking of it's on the form presently. There used to be a non-resident alien. That means no. foreign to Corp. U.S. Inc. or from another only, country. Only in 26 CFR 1.1-1A. That's the only place they use it there in that usage. And But here they had to say non-citizen. Okay, but here's the reason all this is going on is because they've got to tell you in that form what's going on really and they've got to let you know that you've got a choice and they've got to set the whole thing up where they don't ask you what you are because it's up to you as to what you are. But what do they ask you? They ask you what your parents were. Hmm. They don't ask you what you are. They, there's the choice. I'm either this or I'm either that, right in the oath. But further up on that page, on that very page of the application, they ask, were your, citizen, were your parents citizens of the United States? Boom. That sets up and further enhances the presumption. To your point about that, in the conversation I had with the passport agent a couple of weeks ago, Whenever I sent my passport form in, I had a conversation addressing that very point because I was equivocating because it was not clear. It's a very complicated question with a whole lot of implications uh, for those who are aware of the implications of what the status your parents are. And I could delineate it pretty well, except it would have taken quite a few breaths and sentences, and he'd probably had his head spinning when I got through. And then he said to me, it doesn't make any difference. You don't have to check that box. I said, oh, well, okay. If that's what you say, I have no well, okay with that And one. he's right <laughs> because, because the presumption, it. he's right. <laughs> he was right because the presumption would have applied whether you checked it or not, but it's just more icing on the cake for him. Do you see? Yes. Well, I say it was a, I took particular note of his, the implications of his question, his statement, and his position on it, and I put it in my memory bank for reference for later in case that should come up because then I've got a reliance defense. <laughs> well, the point being is that it, none of that makes any difference. What makes the difference is the, the documentation you attached with it to give to the secretary. I was going to – Thomas probably That's didn't know right. about this. Okay, I think Thomas is still with us. I think he's just doing his business there. But if you remember back at ex-wife number three, we had that pretty good black <laughs> that that pretty good black group going there for a while. The guys yep. from from Maryland up in there, 
And there was one guy named Eric. Eric, he used to call in a lot. I asked him if he wanted to be a host on the network, and you just can't get people to make any kind of a commitment these days too much, it seems. But regardless, Eric was pretty sharp. Eric was like work. Yeah, it's too much like work. You're right. Uh, well, see, that's just it. It's not work. It's not work for me, you know. I mean, it's pleasure for me. Either I enjoyed it. Um, regardless, Eric was a sharp guy, and he had been in the mortgage business. And um, he said when he got, he was in there one day in a closing attorney's office, and he said the clerk was stamping all the day's business, you know, all the checks and everything. And every one of those deals was stamped to the Federal Reserve. <laughs> and he said that's when I really woke up that day in that office. Regardless, he heard about this, and he heard about it second through some of his buddies up there. And he, living in Maryland, could drive into D.C., and there's an office there at the State Department where you can do just basically what you've done out in Vegas, Chris. You can walk into the desk and hand them the stuff and get everything done right there at the State Department. So he takes the train in, and he goes in there, and he had taken on his passport application on that oath we're talking about fairly extensively here today. I'm sorry, my stomach's wanting to hiccup on me. And uh, he had circled non-citizen national. Here's the affidavit. Mm -hmm. well, yep, Here's yep. the application. I'm going to circle. This is what I am. Boom, I'm circling it. And the guy at the desk wouldn't take it. And he just said, no, I can't take this. And then he didn't ask any questions or inquire. He just took the rejection and left. Well, the next day he calls into the radio show. He writes me a message, says they got rejected. I said, call into the show tomorrow. And so he calls into the show, and I said, you deface the form. That's why they wouldn't take it. You can't <laughs> circle that, you know. That's been considered to be de. You don't want to give them any excuse to turn you away. What do you want to do that for? That's right. Okay, so well, here's goes, a, but, well, let me let me finish. I'll, I'll let you comment. So, okay. the, so the next day he goes back and he takes the train in and he goes to the same desk and it's a different woman and he tells her the story and she says, "Well, honey, you just go ahead and circle it, and give it to me." <laughs> uh, well, can I offer a uh, critically adduced alternative suggestion that may have some legs? not conflict with their rules and still accomplish what you want. That is, I make a copy of that particular page three that you're talking about, and that way it's a copy. It's not the form. It's merely a representation of simulation, it's an a version of the form. It's an and attachment. Then, then you can highlight it, circle it, and anything else you want to do on it, and ply that with your form as a clarifying assistive aid for them to be able to discern which one you're talking about. Yes, and, and of course, <laughs> then it's considered to be an attachment because that's the same thing you do with the affidavit. You know, this is another way. Other clarifying evidence. Right. Thomas, this is another way to, to, for, that I knew that I'd really touched them real deep here, okay, is they made two changes here a couple of years back in the revised passport application. And one of them was the one we're talking about right now. They added... Uh, at the bottom of the oath, they've now got a bullet point that says, I have read and understand the warning box on page whatever, okay? Now, you see, the reason they did that was to cover their asses because it's that warning box that's your get-out-of-jail-free card. That's your, that's your statement on the form. Or, hey, you can volunteer out of servitude. 
Now, they don't quite say it like that, but that's what it is. And that's why they had to take well, that box that I can get out of servitude and put it now as a bullet point at the bottom of the oath. Okay, point A. Point B, in the old form, they used to have a section called the Paperwork Reduction Act. And in uh -huh. that section, they're saying that they had to follow this stuff we talked about earlier with the Office of Management and Budget because of the Paperwork Reduction Act. And, and it talks about, it says, with, in our form of government, often this is difficult to do, get all these forms and stuff that comply because our citizenship laws are very complex. And I started making fun of them on that. And and I wrote it in the book, and damned if they, in the revised edition of the passport, that's out of there. <laughs> well, they do pay attention, don't they? Well, uh, I well, have a document here in front of me that's me, referred me, to in that well, warning block in particular. You, before, you launch off on, be before you launch off on that, let me say it. What it does is it points to the validity of what we're, what we've got here. When they're changing government Absolutely. forms and reacting to the information getting into the public domain, that shows you the importance of what we're doing. Just that. Yes, they're sensitive and it hurts their feelings when we well, expose I, their deviosity. Uh, yeah. uh, so I've got this little pamphlet I pulled off the Internet some time ago from the United St offices of the United States Attorney, the USAM manual. And uh, it has to do with Section 902 of the False Statements Accountability Act of 1996, the FSAA, Public Law Number 104-292, H.R. 3166 of October 11, 1966. <laughs> it says they made several changes. And they, this is for the 18 U.S.C. Sections 101, lying to a federal agent, uh, <laughs> comes from. And this is one of the ones they cite there in that warning block that you'll be circumscript if you lie and put false statements on your passport form. So you have to be critically accurate right. and put other delineating forms and not alter the form. And that's really critical. But this is several little pages here that's very, I found, and I've been looking for for a while. I just came across it day before yesterday. I knew I had it somewhere. But this comes from www.justice.gov slash USAM, that's the United States Attorney General's Manual, Criminal Rec Resource Manual, 902 to 1996. And so the, the government's resources, and it's really, really important. Remember, I, I don't remember if I mentioned on your show, because I don't remember the number. I've got to go back and find it. But I discovered a, I think it was a Title 18. It might have been another title. Uh, from the Attorney General of the U.S., uh, who's, we don't know who it is right now, they're talking about Mar, Matthew Barr, or William Barr, that's not his name, his real name is Guillermo something or another, he's a, a Spaniard, uh, probably a Ronald uh, Jesuit, but uh, he's an imposter and uh, an agent and a Jesuit from the Jesuit schools, this Barr guy is considered for the AG. But the AG is required to issue, once you've notified the Secretary of State and get your evidence of non-citizenship or citizenship status, as it may be, of your special diplomatic status, ambassadorial or consulary, that the um, U.S. Attorney General is required to issue a certificate of non-citizen state national political classification. And that could be very helpful, I think. 
Well, if you go to the State Department, there's a whole page on that thing. I saw it years ago when I first got into this. Somebody sent me a link to it. And you'll notice that what it, at the, the, what's written on the State Department under this, if that declaration or that, that page is still there, it says at the bottom, well, we used to do this, but it became so expensive with paper. The paper and ink and stuff is just so expensive, Chris, that they just couldn't do it anymore. Yeah, like building a wall, huh? <laughs> they, yeah. they can give billion dollars to Israel or to the illegals to support them and to house all their children and stuff, but we can't afford to spend a couple of billion on a wall when they're spilling trillions well, on this other stuff. It's preposterous and absurd nonsense. I'd love to see some of you get out there and, and hold their feet to the fire on this certificate and have some dialogue with them. Where is it? Where's mine? I want mine. And uh, uh, well, I'm my, you know, freedom collection <laughs> over here. I'm going to frame it and put it up on the wall in my office. Can I get it, please, with some of that really expensive paper? Yeah, ink? put it on the website. I know, <laughs> I know it's got to be real pretty because it's got to be because it's so expensive. <laughs> well, sure, you want to get it apostolic and officiated and all those uh, documentary, testamentary evidence of officialdom. <laughs> Are you mean to tell me that you guys have to bring out the gold leaf paper to 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 type up yeah. my certificate of nationality? <laughs> and emboss it with your official stamp. Absolutely, <laughs> Secretary. Well, I'll I'll take my little passport and be happy about it, and they can go on and there, you know, continue to to go down and in the depths of Foggy Bottom and all of their damn crap that goes on out of that office of government right there. The slave office. That's hey, the I've slave been, That's the slave office, boss. That there's the slave office, old Foggy Bottom up there in D.C. I've been calling the uh, travel.gov phone number and checking on the website occasionally on the status of my progression of my non-Citizen U.S. national passport progressing through the system and uh everybody's been very polite courteous and accommodating and professional and i've complimented their public servant uh, attitudes of helping the people and being kind and considerate while they're doing it at least they act that way they're probably uh rolling on the floor laughing kicking their hands up in the air and doing a manfred uh whenever i get off the phone but uh, if i can provide them some entertainment i'm happy to do so <laughs> Well, it's interesting that they recognize there's a difference, isn't it? Well, uh, it would be futile to deny the obvious, wouldn't it? It wouldn't be on the form if it weren't well, the things. It wouldn't be in down the Bidwell. I mean, I hearken back to that story that happened to me when I, the first time I was going out of the country to go down on my visit to Argentina. And in, yeah. in that in that whole debacle and I'd never flown internationally before any of that stuff and I'm down there meeting my buddy in Miami and he's uh, been traveling a lot so he knows all the protocols and, and we get down there they always whatever flight you're on it's always at the end of the concourse you know that deal and so you got to walk down a long concourse down there and there's a bunch of people mulling around the gate and, and I've never done it before. He's already checked in. He's sitting over there talking to these people. 
if you've never heard this story, this is quite interesting, okay? And he's over there talking to this couple, and I get through and get my little boarding pass and go find my buddy and go sit down. He introduces introduces them to me, and he says, these guys are from the U.S. Embassy in Jamaica. Have you ever heard me tell this story, Chris? I want to hear it again. I okay. have no, it's, a good, it's a good story. It's a good story. And so uh, we have a chance just to talk for a minute, uh, and they do the boarding call for the airport airplane. And their seats were in the boarding call or something. Anyway, we got up and got separated. I had just talked to them for a minute. But I knew who they were, and it was boyfriend and girlfriend, and both of them worked at the embassy in uh, probably Kingston. Okay, and they were going to Argentina for vacation for a month to tour the country. And so we get on the flight, and it's one of these big planes because it's a long flight. It's a nine-hour flight, and, um, uh, and everybody's overnight, of course, and so you, people sleep if they can and all that. Well, in the morning, everybody needs to go to the bathroom. Isn't that about the first thing you do when you wake up is want to go to the bathroom? You want a cup of coffee, yes, if you're sir. a smoker, you want a cigarette, you and, and you want a, an el, that's the first word you learn in Spanish, el baño, okay? You want an el baño. And so everybody's waking up about the same time, and if they're not awake yet, every, people stirring around them wake them up. And so everybody kind of gets up the same time, and they, somebody opens a window, and the boom, the sun comes into the cabin and wakes a bunch of people up. So they all head to the bathrooms at the same time. Well, in those planes, they're in certain areas. And in the middle part was where our bathroom was. I go get in line. My buddy's right ahead of me. And lo and behold, who's in front of him but the, or behind me right there uh, in, in next to us is this guy from the embassy. And so I get a chance. He's a captive audience in a line waiting to use the bathroom on a plane. <laughs> and so I say, well, what do you do at the embassy? I said, you know, there's a lot of people because this was eight, ten years ago, and that was when the expatriation surge was first starting. And a lot of people were expatriating, which is a whole process you got to go through through the State Department. you got to have another slave country's passport already done, all that done. And you show them that and give them your passport back. And it's cost you now about $4,000, $5,000 to go through that. You used to could do it for a couple of hundred back when I'm having this conversation with this guy. And so... I said, there's a lot of people that are really starting to expatriate now. And he looks at me and he says, that's my job at the embassy. Mm. And I go, well, do you know that there's two forms of citizenship in the United States? And you to think that I shocked that guy with a cattle prod. Okay, because he just got this blank. I'm not kidding you now, Chris. He got this blank, serious look on his face, and he said, I wouldn't know about that. You'd have to talk to the legal staff up in D.C. I don't know anything about that. I don't know anything about that. And then he he immediately left the line to go to the bathroom that we'd been standing on and went to the front of the plane like a scalded jackal, and I never saw him again. (laughs) <laughs> the truth was too dangerous for him to talk about. Well, he couldn't he couldn't face somebody that knew what they were talking about because he knew it too. The jig was up. <laughs> okay. 
And that was a personal experience. And boy, did it open my eyes because I was still real new to this stuff. I mean, I'd gotten my passport, I'd done the application, found the hole, applied and gotten it uh, just right before I went on that trip, okay? And I was still putting a lot of this together in my mind, but I knew that I was on the right track. And that little incident right there helped to confirm it. (laughs) Well, some might find it curious. The paperwork I just put in has Title 18 USC 911, a significant number to some of us who pay attention to the world powers and other things that have happened on those auspicious numbers of 9-11, like uh, Oklahoma City and Waco and some other places. And that 911 says it's a felony for someone to claim they're a U.S. citizen if they can't prove it. And my point that I make in the paperwork is that uh, being that a U.S. citizen is a dead corporate fictitious entity, proving it could be a bit of a challenge for living people. I sure wish I could get that corporate shit out of your mind. Excuse me for the ship high in transit out of your well, thinking about this. It's 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 not a they're a corporation. You're a piece of property. Well, exactly. And so I try to remind them of that softly. I don't want to hurt their feelings too badly, but when they testify plainly on the record to their incompetence uh, it's hard for me not to bring it to their attention in court but it could be dangerous did you <laughs> did you happen to see i'm just going to deviate a little bit because i just watched it did you happen to see the exchange between this this now very oh, I know high high, high whatever that black um um Muslim woman from Michigan's name is that's caused yeah, all the Omar ruckus. Or like that. Uh, Onar or something. She's caused a lot of ruckus up there lately and uh, here in just the last couple of days. Did you happen to see her exchange with Elliot Abrams on a, uh, a House of Representatives panel within the last day or two? I, I heard some of it on another show, so I'm aware uh, she hates uh, Semites, supposedly, or those, those that call themselves that, uh, maybe erroneously, I think. Uh, but she's Islamic, and she was wearing a blue hijab, and uh, it was really quite, uh, obviously, she hates America, stupid Americans, and the ones that have been bombing her country. Well, I kind of see her point of view about that. Why are we bombing people that aren't attacking our country? Uh, just to do global hegemony and support the Zionist agenda. No, no, it's a national security. Uh, Well, she's got Elliot Abrams, who's been appointed lately to to come in to the administration and help oversee this fiasco they're trying to create next door over in Venezuela. Okay. Yeah, we don't want to war with him. Look, I'm not a big. I, I don't. I, I think Maduro's a crook. I don't think he's running the country or t- treating the people right. I think socialism, communism is a whole bag of crap. But let me tell you what: we ain't got no no business in taking our communists under disguise and running them in there just to take over their damn oil and gold. Well, sure, loot, plob, plunder, and pillage, as and, they and usually do. As much as, I, as much as I admire a lot of the things that uh, Donald J. Trump has done so far, him spearheading this, I'm, I'm not 
happy about it all and I don't approve of, not that my opinion makes any difference, but uh, it, it's just not right. You know, well, in this conversation, Chris, in whatever they were in there to talk about, and I don't know what the overall conversation was about, but this gal nails his ass, okay? And she opens up the dialogue saying, you were you lied in front of Congress and were convicted about it a, a couple of years here back, and George W. Bush had to pardon you. And in this mm, in this right. in this Nicaragua or whatever El Salvador whatever it was down there with the Iran Contras and all that stuff, which he was up to his eyeballs in, and the massacre, all these people and everything, and boy, she just absolutely. Railed him, buddy. I mean, she didn't do it very eloquently. You can tell she's not skilled at no. it, but she got her points across. Well, you know, she is a smart woman. There's no doubt about it. She's Somali, is where she's from, Somalia. And uh, she is pretty articulate in her non original language here in America. And she's pretty good at holding some of these people, and she makes some very salient points that you can't deny. Nope, you can't deny them, and they couldn't either. And boy, uh, Abrams just got to the point ah. after she ran him down about these massacres and stuff, and going, are we going to consider that to be good American policy in Venezuela, where we massacre all these women and children and rape and kill these 12-year-old girls? I mean, she really, like and this is, now this is, <laughs> Chris, this is what I keep talking about on here. It's the snake eating its tail. Where did the Somalians come from? Well, they were brought in here over this big, let's bring everybody in the world and dilute them, the main oh, pool. Hello. And, and dilute the main pool deal. So now enough of them get in one area up in there in Michigan that through the process that they're involved in, now they can elect one of them and put them up there in D.C. and look what the hell she's doing, coming right back on them. It's the snake eating its tail. I think she's from Wisconsin, and, and there were some questions about how she got elected, but apparently a large proportion of Wisconsinites uh, our Somalis now that the invasion has filled up the place with are, these foreigners. Are you kidding me? I saw a video. You know the largest mall in the world is up there? Yeah, the Mall of America. The, I saw a video taken inside of that place, and you were th you would have thought you were in a Baghdad bazaar. <laughs> and I'm not kidding you. I'm not, I, that sounds like a ridiculous analogy, and it wasn't. You'd have thought you were in Baghdad, Betty, at the Mall of America. Sounds good to me. Well, so now they got some of them up there in Congress, and they got uh, uh, some of these other uh, left-wing wackos like this Casio or Cortez that's getting so much publicity all of a sudden. A AOC, isn't that right. what they call her? And uh, and and yeah. uh, and all of a sudden the um, now this is interesting. What did what did they get on her for the other day? Was stay, saying about Congress is controlled by Benjamins. Benjamins, 
Now <laughs> all the Jewish, all the Jewish lobby is a binge. Oh, it's a reference to Jewish money. Well, actually, it was a reference to a rap song. It was talking about Benjamins being used to help foment corruption. And that's where she used it from that context, and she dropped it in there, and everybody's all up in arms, Chris. Oh, Lord. Even Trump's talking about the anti-Semitic remarks in Congress because they use the word Benjamin. Now, I'm going to ask you, Chris, do you know that Congress, of course, is now back in session. It looks like they might be stay in session. Do you know the first Hello. bill? Hold on, hold on, hold on. This is important. Do you, do you know the first bill that came out of the Senate this year, SB1? Uh, no, but I know there's a crazy omnibus bill. No, I want to talk about oh, the first bill that came out of the new Senate in this session Number SB1. Do you know what that bill does, Chris? I don't recall. It might be the, the it, BDS bill or it something. It gives the states cover for BDS. Now, here's a woman saying the word Benjamin that gets railed for being anti. Oh, how could you say Jewish money influenced Congress? And the first bill out of the Senate is in our country giving the states cover to help suppress the diversify boycott and sanction movement against this, our best ally halfway around the world. The first bill that came out of the Senate dealt with a foreign power. Now tell me, whose money controls Congress? Their representatives and senators. Hmm. Well, there are aspects of bringing foreigners that have clearer vision than dumbed-down Americans here to throw the light on the deviosity of the Zionist cult that's trying to take over the world. Uh, might have some collateral benefits for Americans. <laughs> now let's let's take that. Let's take that on what you just said and transition into something that I wanted to cover today because I finished watching the video last night. We talked about it yesterday. Uh-huh. Uh, this John B. Wells mm. show from it was a couple of years yep. ago because Obama was still in office because they were referring to that during the show. But uh, the information is incredibly deep from a standpoint of his research and what he's got. He's He's got as good a portfolio on this stuff as I've ever seen anybody have in some of these other areas. And the area we're talking about and addressing that he does on this video in this interview is technocracy. Now, I put it on, I was able last night finally to upload the last couple of days' shows to CastBox. So Tuesday and Wednesday's show are up on CastBox. And in the show links there, on Tuesday's show is that article on the history of Jewish wealth that we read, Chris. And on Wednesday, uh-huh. on Wednesday's show yesterday, that uh, was the last one I got uploaded last night. It takes a long time, man. It's super slow. And um, I put the, a link to this John B. Wells, um, Patrick Wood interview. It's worth listening to, and I would encourage all of you to listen to it. I can get you the title here in a minute, and maybe if you want, you can go look it up on YouTube and just search it up. But it's an important interview, and it's important information, and we need to get it in context because I believe it is the the big umbrella in the back of the big goal that they're going for and in this technocracy thing. And now that they pointed out and were a few 
years down the line from this interview, you can see it continuing and popping up. You mentioned it a minute ago, Chris, 5G, okay? And I think 5G is kind of like politics. You know, the old saying, if you don't take an interest in politics, politics will take an interest in you. That's right. Well, I think 5G is about the same. Uh, I think 5G's got an interest in you, each and every one of you hearing these words. And it's going to affect all of our lives, and we don't know how. But we know it's going to be affected by it. So that's part of this technocracy thing. And the fact is, what they're really doing here, Chris, is switching the economic system. That's the basis of it. And the economic system they're switching from is the one we've been on that's crashing for them. And the one they're wanting to go to is this technocracy system they're building where basically the currency is energy. And that's why all the data gathering and all the smart web stuff and all the things that are continuing, we see them being integrated into our culture and society are to monitor you on how much energy consumption that you've gotten. A couple of the the examples he gave were this. Let's say you go check into a hotel and you go in and, and you spend the night and you get up in the morning, you get your breakfast, you go get your shower and you go to check out, right? And when you go to check out, they go, oh, oh, Mr. Chris, we're going to have to charge you 20 extra dollars here because your shower was four minutes longer than you were allotted. That kind of stuff, okay? Or you can only, if you're trying to, uh, uh, if you're a, a woman and you're trying to, and you're the housekeeper and you're trying to uh, do the daily wash and you do your wash and you go to put it in the dryer and go, oh, well, you can't run the dryer till two o'clock in the morning when the power levels are reduced. That kind of stuff. Chris, did you mute out on me and go off somewhere? Thomas, are you still hanging around? It looks like you're still I'm connected. right here, buddy. Okay. Well, uh, so anyway, that, this technocracy thing, it's, about, it's over three hours long, this program, and it took me several sittings to watch it, but I would encourage you to, to watch it. His information and research is impeccable. He found to the point that when this stuff, who's calling? Shane's calling in. Okay, Shane, I'll get you back. Uh, he found the mother load of resources. And that was up at, believe it or not, the University of Edmonton in Alberta, okay? And what evidently had happened was there was a bunch of Canadians that were involved in this technocracy revolution back in the 30s because this was happening originally back in the early 30s. And so the, the Americans got rid of it. It, they, it built up through the 30s. They actually got it taught in, univer, in Columbia, University, Columbia University up in New York City, and something happened, and they, one of the leaders was besmirched, and they knocked the whole thing out of Columbia University, and it went dormant. And when it went dormant, the whole movement went dormant for a while, at least on the surface, and the Canadian members 
got together and said, we need to pool all the information and the, re the paperwork and everything we've done on this over the years and put it in one place so that people can access it. Well, he found it. And he went up there and spent a week, and he said it was like this treasure trove. So this guy really knows what he's talking about, and he's got impeccable research, and that is worth spending a few hours of your time on if you want to really understand what's going on here because I think he's hit the nail on the head. This is the big umbrella, the big kahuna of what they're trying to achieve. And believe me, he goes into a lot of depth in over three hours with examples and proof talking about it. So it's worth watching. I'll put it on today's show description also up there on castbox.fm. And if you're new, every day's show is put up, for the most part when I can, on castbox, C-A-S-T-B-O-X dot F-M. And when you get to that page, in search, put either Radio Ranch, two words, or PPN and those episodes will pop up. What's your name? Hey, Shane. How in the world are you doing? Hello there, Roger. Uh, I'm doing all right. Um, I'm just re reporting that the caravan at midnight. Yes. It is episode 250 okay. with Patrick Wood. Oh, good. 250. That's pretty easy to remember. Episode 250 is John B. Wells. Caravan to Midnight. And Patrick Wood. Episode 250 with Patrick Wood. I'll put the link in the show description up there today, too, but it's pretty easily accessible. I think you can find it fairly easily. And uh, it's worth spending some time watching. Don't you agree, Shane? Have you watched it? Absolutely, yes. I watched it, but I fell asleep halfway through it, so I have to watch it again. <laughs> Say, Shane. That Patrick Wood, that's augustforecast.com, I think is his website. He is a expositor of immense knowledge regarding technocracy or technocrazy, as I prefer to call it, and uh, very, very studied in these matters. And very uh, that's from the Silent Weapons for Quiet Wars, which was the template for the takeover of technocracy, of weaponizing all forms of technology on the planet to use with the people. Yep, it's a it's mm. a giant. I mean, you know, this is what we teach too. We just don't look at it like that. What are they talking about? A giant feud. They're the kings of the earth. They, just like in the feudal era where the king would dish out the land to the lords and the, you know, all the successive people would get it. Well, they're dishing out the land of the earth, except it's not just tierra. It's also done through the proper prepare proprietary rights of corporations. The corporations that you keep referring to are the new feuds. They're not land, they're areas of responsibility and products and commerce. And that's what the TPP treaty was supposed to do, was cement the feuds over the countries where it takes away all the country's authority to operate in any kind of sovereign manner, and it's all dictated by boards, which are appointed corporate directors for life with no board of appeal. That was the system. We were that close to moving into it. God bless President Trump for getting rid of that TPP crap. Mm -hmm. But you see, mm -hmm. there's the conceptual uh, uh, implementation of this feudal stuff. 
The feuds are the corporate boards and the corporations and the areas of product services that they dictate. Mm -hmm. And of course, have you ever seen a feud without any serfs? Could you mm -hmm. have a feud without any serfs? No, because there'd be nobody to do the labor. So when you understand and start looking at things conceptually, this is why I preach conceptual, conceptual, conceptual. Get out of the damn minutiae in the law books and the court cases. Start understanding this conceptually. Then go back and look in the court cases and the statutes, and then you'll understand what the hell they're saying. Hmm. Uh, let's see. Patrick's going to join us here if I call him back. So, Shane, did you have anything to add besides? Uh, it was nice you give us episode two hundred and fifty, though. I appreciate that. Yeah, that's uh, that's pretty much it for now. Okay. Well, I'll then, jump in later. Okay, Shane. Well, thanks for the two hundred and fifty, buddy. Uh, but Patrick just jumped in where Shane jumped out. Hey, Patrick, what's going on today, brother? I'll beat the streets, helping everybody get what they want so I can get what I want. There you go. Um, that little italicized paragraph I forgot to ask you about yesterday, uh, did it not talk about them uh, knocking the little guy out and bringing the, the, uh, the chain business in? Uh, do you remember something 134, 135? He really talked about pushing the little man out and bringing in a, uh, a chain-type thing like Walmart or something where it's pushing us entrepreneurs out of the way at the smaller levels. Well, that's what they're doing all over. They want to totally control everything through those, those outlets and those stores as much as possible. Look how many yeah, small yeah. business people went out of business in the last 10, 15 years through that Obama stretch. Remember? Remember? My Patrick? dad, uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, my dad uh, was in the sewing business in East Tennessee, and they had, uh, you know, for textiles and all up in the northern part of uh, Alabama, and I was known for textiles, Georgia and whatnot. Well, they had 50 sewers, and by the time they got through with them, they were down to me buying them an embroidery machine to hang on. They uh, repoed everything from them over time, and uh, he'd married a girl in the sewing industry. And uh, that was the that was the game from the Tennessee River all the way up to uh, Knoxville was uh, sewing, and they were making BTUs and mini skirts out of camouflage for uh, places in New York and uh, just anything they could sew. But they flat out put them out, uh, and he wouldn't buy anything from uh, he wouldn't buy anything from Walmart. Refused to. Yep. He hated them with a passion. This was back in the late nineties. Yeah, they totally destroy a local economy. Remember when Obama first got in there, Patrick? I was going to pose this question to you because I know a little bit about your history. Okay, remember when Obama got up there and he's talking to that bunch? And he said, "See that wrecking business over there? He didn't build that business." <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, it was given to him by his, uh, his, his daddy. Yeah. yeah, you didn't build that business, yep. did you there, Patrick? Is this? No, uh, it, it came to me over a, an epiphany one night when I was dreaming. <laughs> and it was Deja there the next morning. On the scene. Yeah. Hell, I was drinking coffee and it appeared right in front of me uh, there, Obama. Uh, the ridiculous yeah, like... of these people is is beyond belief, and, and it's that socially that mindset right there that a lot of small business owners had a whole tough road to hoe over the last 10 15 years and they may have a tougher one in front of them but let's hope not 
I think we do. I think it's going to collapse. Something's got to have. The uh, thing's got to fall apart. I don't know when or how or what. I hope I can hang on for three or four years because I'm going to cash in and, and get out of the way. Uh, you know, uh, that average business will last 24 years, and then after that the kids don't want to do it, and it goes out of business. And it, I'll be damned if I did my, my uh, body shop business closed exactly on that number. I got burnt out of arguing with the insurance companies, and they were treating me like a whore in a brothel house, and I just don't play well with others, so I shut it down. And uh, we made money in the 80s and 90s, but around 2000 it started. Everybody was watching everybody, and you just couldn't get nothing done. The old school mentality had left. And the cars had changed. They put airbags in them, thinking, telling people it was for safety. Well, it was to really to get the car, get you back in the finance game in the front door because three, four, five thousand dollars put bags in it would total the car we normally fixed. And we would argue about that all the time. And if a car got to sixty percent, they just total it. They didn't care what you know what happened. And uh, you know, I'm dialing for dollars and running records on the road to get a three o'clock rainstorm to bring in some juice. And it just got to where they were controlling me, just dictating. And they were telling me if I didn't fix it so many hours I had to pay the rental bill and then just on and on and on and um, I you know I read the writing on the wall so I backed out of it and uh, I'm in another argument as you well know but good show today enjoyed it bits and pieces uh, be back at you tomorrow but I just couldn't get a handle on the phone kept blowing up well that's okay but, uh, man I'm, I'm enjoyed glad listening to y'all all right. I know we got a few of us out there and smart folks that have come away um, especially, you know, Chris, hold on. I'm particularly excited because Patrick, you're relatively new, and Thomas now over there in Texas and his bunch relatively new. So there's some new blood coming in. That really inspires me a lot. Uh, Thomas is going to set up a show if he can next week with this other guy of some prominence in Texas. Patrick and I would, uh, uh, I know you don't miss very many shows, and hopefully you won't miss that one. I think we'll cover some good ground there. I'm pretty excited about the prospect of that, too. Thomas, uh, Chris, what were you going to say? As a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, I got a few um, folks in Bible study that are interested. They they asked about your book, and I gave them the information. Uh, I, I deal with them every Tuesday night. We we do a Skype study, and uh, they're going to reach out to you very soon. They're real interested in the okay. deal. Well, they can either get us live or get us through the replay or get us through Castbox. So the lesson is available there if somebody wants the information. What were you going to say, Thomas? Uh, Michael called during uh, the show, and so I put it on mute and turned the volume down, and he told me some very interesting things, and he does want you to call him to set this up, and I'll give you his phone number. Just send it to me in an email, Thomas, if you would. Very interesting. He's run for president of the United States, by the way. What's his name? Michael Baderick. But is his name? He's not a star I've I've heard him on different shows years ago, but it's been a, a number of years. Yes, he's uh, he was uh, just enlightening me to the max on what he's been doing, and he was talking about the three, four, and five star passport, which he's got a four, and he was comparing it with his friends that have uh, their married couple. One has a three-star, and the other one has a five-star, and he's trying to get the information out of what these stars mean. Well, here's what you tell him. You take that, that Supreme Court case from 1835, and you, and, and if you had not seen that, you need to know about it because it says the passport. Uh, DRC. It, yeah, yeah DR, it doesn't make a damn. What really matters is what documentation's in the possession of the secretary, and if it's of a high quality enough to be admissible in a court of law, and there's the ball game right there. 
Yeah, but there's something going on with those stars. He just wants he's he's well, like I, me. Now I, I want I've to never know. I've never I've never heard of any uh, kind of star identification on them, so I'll be interested to know about this too. Chris In the last moments here I have a story, uh, notwithstanding the secret elements of the reasons for Valentine's Day that will warm the cockles of Valentine's Day. <clears throat> In Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, US attorney William McSwain that John Kelvin Connor, Esquire, 62, was told by a jury of 19 counts of wire fraud, one count of making a false statement to federal agents, and an attorney devised and participated in a scheme to defraud an elderly woman out of more than 95000 so he could gamble with her money at casinos. And the victim had signed a power of attorney agreement with the defendant that granted him the authority to manage her finances and pay her bills, and at the time, she lived at home but required the assistance of multiple caregivers, and uh, her estate was looted and pillaged and plundered by this guy. But that's on the justice.gov website in Philly, PA, and there's also another one about local Union 98 there, the electrical workers, IBEW, the same one I worked for with corruption here. Uh, they were raised up, and the county commissioner and the union officials and MK Construction were all guilty of playing on and stealing pensions of members and looting their trust funds and all kinds of chicanery there in Pennsylvania, and that should make people happy on Valentine's happy Day. Happy Valentine's Day. Well, here's a Valentine for you. I saw the story. We hadn't got a chance to talk about it, that a number of pension funds are starting to buy cryptocurrencies. So uh, that's good news. There's all kinds of good stuff. We just got to find it. We'll talk about it tomorrow with Brent. You guys know that's always a special show, and Brent's real special. So uh, we'll see you tomorrow. Have a good day from Coyaki, Ecuador. Coyaki. Hasta luego, amigos. We'll get this thing turned up. I'll How see you Roger? tomorrow. Hasta la vista. Yeah, we'll do, Thomas. Ciao, ciao. Okay. Bye-bye, everybody.